for joining us one more time. Today we are studying the last book in the Old Testament. Kudos to you. We started from, from Genesis, and will you believe, as of today, we will finish the Old Testament. I'm excited in getting into the New Testament. Today, we're studying the book of Malachi, the last book in the Old Testament. There are a few things you and I need to know about Malachi. The first thing is that after this book, the Bible said God was silent for 400 years. In other words, he didn't say a word. Now, that itself is a sermon. Can you imagine if God goes silent on us for 400 years? we will be in a world of trouble. You and I need God every day. You know how we sing the song, I need thee, oh, I need thee. Every hour, I need thee. You see, for Israelites, they had to deal with the silence of God for four years. That is serious. The question must be asked, what on earth led them to that kind of situation? Why did God shut up? Why did God stop talking? There's a lesson there. Can you imagine, and let me, let me help those of you who are sisters there. One gift God gives to sisters is the gift of communication. You love to talk. <laughs> but imagine if you fall in love with a man and you're communicating and all of a sudden that man stopped talking. I will submit to you, Houston, we got trouble. As long as a man is talking, there's hope for that relationship. But when you push that man or the devil push him or whatever push him, and he went silent on you, we need help. <laughs> Fast and in hurry. Imagine God who was trying to deal with Israel. He chose them as a nation. He wanted them to be like a case study for the whole world. He redeemed them. You know, you know how they fell off the uh, off course and they end up in Egypt and they were slaves for 430 years. It was God who redeemed them. Then it was God who blessed them with a land called the promised land. Then they rebel against God. God tried so hard to rehabilitate them. It didn't do much good. It got so bad that God 
went silent. Zip his mouth for 400 years. That gives you a background to this book. God called Malachi before God shut down. He called Malachi to talk to the people on God's behalf. The word Malachi means messenger. So Malachi, even though he's a human being like you and me, he was a prophet that God sent to be his messenger to the people. He wants to give them a final chance to see if we can work something out. Have you ever been in a relationship? Maybe you not, but I've been there, you know. You're dating somebody, and something went wrong, and you're trying everything to make things work. Especially you ladies, you have so much patience. You will give every chance to work things out. But at some point, if I cease that delete your number, <laughs> you know, there's no, you can forget it. If I cease to say I'm through with you, it's over, son. So you, so you can really enjoy the book of Malachi. It's like a relationship between God and Israel, between a man and a woman, between a couple. They were like married couple. God loves them. They love God. But things just wasn't working out. Now, let me give you additional background. I'm, I'm enjoying myself talking about Malachi. It's a good book. Ladies and gentlemen, this book was written after the people returned from captivity. So when you talk about Israelites in the Old Testament, there are three categories of prophets or messengers that God sent to them. There were some prophets that he sent to them before the exile, before they got in trouble. Those are people we call pre-exile prophets. Then there are people, you know, like Prophet Samuel. <laughs> Those were before exile. Even David is a king and a prophet. Those were before Israel was sent to exile. Then there's a second category of prophets. These are prophets who were called during exile. While the people were taken away from their country, while they were in captivity in Babylon, God raised up prophets among them. For example, Daniel was a prophet in captivity. There were other prophets like Zerubbabel. Then there's a third category of prophets. These are prophets that after they were released from captivity and they returned back home, then God raised up some prophets. And Malachi is one of those post-exile prophets. So you have pre-exile 
prophets, you have during exile prophets, and you have post-exile prophets. Malachi was post-exile. The people who had gone to captivity in Babylon for 70 plus years, now by the grace of God they were released. They're now back home, back in Israel, back to Jerusalem. And now God raised up Malachi to talk to them. Does that give you a picture of what, what's going on? Now, before I begin to tell you what Malachi said in his messages, you need additional information of what's going on. Use your sanctified mind, your imagination. Imagine the people, they've been locked up, they've been held up as slaves in a foreign country, and then the, the nation of Babylon collapsed. And another nation conquered Babylon, Persia. And when the new conqueror come, like a new sheriff in town, they just release all of Israel. You can go back home to Israel, or you can stay in Babylon if you choose to. Of course, most of them choose to return back to Israel. So now they are home in their homeland, Guess what? They are full of excitement. I've seen some of those. Every now and then, my wife and I, we will, we will go home to Africa to visit. I'm not as crazy about going there as my wife is. But when we get there, oh, you can just see my wife's face. I mean, she just glows. She's at home. She just live up. And she's talking to this person. How about this person? How about she's asking about everybody? I'm just sitting down watching the movies, you know. <laughs> she's just full of excitement. She is so happy to be back home in Africa to see all of our relatives, our nephews, our cousins, and everybody knocking on our door. 24 hours, people are still visiting. Now, keep in mind, I'm just a typical American Yankee, you know. I come just to visit them for one or two weeks to get my rest and come back to America. No, no rest. People are just in and out. We haven't seen you for years. Everybody wants to talk. I'm giving you a picture of how the Israelites felt when they came back from Babylon and they came back to their own country, Jerusalem. Also keep in mind that their home, all the walls have been torn down. All their homes have been destroyed. Even their church, the temple, is all gone. So they have to start afresh. Yet they were full of excitement. Why? Because they're free. Freedom will cause you to be excited. Secondly, they have an opportunity for a fresh fresh start. There's a lesson there because many of you, maybe you've been in a relationship, you've been tied up, tangled up, bind up, you can't function, physical abuse, emotional abuse, and the Lord set you free. Can you imagine how you felt 
that nobody have to be yeah, 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 yeah at you. Nobody have to be talking rough at you, putting you down. Nobody have to be attacking you. I mean, this is it's good to be free. There's something about freedom. That's why a lot of people, they will walk for miles and miles just to come over to America because it's the land of the free. So these people, they got home, they rebuilt their city, they rebuilt their homes. In fact, they even rebuilt their church. The temple was rebuilt. They just knew in their spirit that now they can start back all over. They even believed the Messiah would now come. He would deliver them from their oppressor, from all the foreign country that's messing with them. They were full of excitement. That was the background to the book of Malachi. Why did God have to call Malachi? I'll tell you what happened. Although they're back home and things seems to be all, everybody full of excitement, there at some point reality begin to set in. Guess what the reality is? Number one, they notice nothing, nothing has changed. You see, God allowed them to go to exile, to be enslaved for 70 plus years so they can learn some lessons. They were doing wrong. The exile, the captivity, was supposed to be a punishment, a lesson. Now they're back home, they're free. Guess what? They haven't learned one thing. They went right back to the same mess. The Bible calls that dog returning to its own format. That's in your Bible. That's exactly what happens to Israel. Regrettably, that's what happens to many people. Will you believe some people will, will be in a relationship with a junky person, a nasty, attitude kind of person, and the Lord will deliver you from it? And you would think people will learn their lesson but they go right back and get another man just as junky as the one before. What's wrong with people? <laughs> Here you married an abuser and the Lord set you free finally. Then you went right back into the market and get another abuse, abusive man. That don't make no sense. Human nature, this flesh is so corrupt, we never learn our lesson for the most part. Israelite came back home. They went back into idolatry. They went back to sinful nature. Everything that got them in trouble to start with, they went back to it. Well, of course, you and I know, maybe I should say I know, Maybe you don't know, but I know that sin has consequence. People ask me, why are you still out of trouble? You're so holy. I said, no, 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 no. Let me, let me tell you the real deal. I've tried sin. It has very 
bad consequence. I don't want to go to jail. <laughs> so I don't mess with the law. It's not about being holy and righteous. It's just a little common sense. I got children to raise. I got a wife to take care. I have responsibility. So therefore, when I see sin or some craziness coming in, I run. I stay away from it. You ought to have a reason to want to leave. You ought to have a reason in your life to want to stay out of trouble. You ought to have a reason in your life to want to serve God. You ought to come to a, a point in your life that you say, nah, done that, been there, done that, got me a t-shirt, got a souvenir, I'm through with that foolishness. Apostle Paul put it this way. He said, when I was young, I behaved like a, a young person. I think like a young person. I act like a young person. He said, but there comes a time that I become a grown-up man. And he said, guess what happened? I put away childish things. A fool at 40 is a fool forever. If you're a man or a woman, 70-year-old, 75-year-old, you don't need your skirt to be up day with. <laughs> I mean, come on. There's time for all that. You, you're too old for that. So there are things in life that you just don't do. All right? But Israel never learned that lesson. They went right back to their foolishness. And as a result, the consequence of their behavior, even after exile, the land was full of poverty. The land was stricken with famine, no productivity. Then there was all kinds of crimes and injustice or injustice all over the land. That is what many of us are dealing with in our own world today. People shooting drugs, people shooting at each other. The jailhouse is full and overflowing. There's not enough bed in the jail. There's not enough bed in the hospital. I mean, it just goes on and on. And yet, we're supposed to be the best nation on earth. Sin never pays. It was in that situation, that atmosphere, that God decided to send a messenger to them. And that messenger, his name is Malachi. The word Malachi means messenger. Now, I got to tell you, Malachi's ministry is very unique. He was basically relating to the world what happened between God and Israel. And the best way to illustrate is just amazing how the Bible is not really complicated. I want you to use your sanctified mind. Imagine two lovers 
If you ever been loved, you can relate to what I'm talking about. I've been there, you know. Imagine two people in love. A boy, a girl, a man, a woman, a husband and wife. They just don't seem to get along. So they decided to have a meeting just to see if they can resolve their differences. That's exactly what the book of Malachi is. God is like God getting with Israel to discuss why is it, why is it that we don't seem to see eye to eye? Why is it, I love you, you love me, but how come we cannot get along? <laughs> how come? We don't see eye to eye. So they're having like a peace conf conference to see if they can work things out. You might say that's pretty strange. No, it shouldn't. I've had to do that with my own wife. Ain't no shame in my game. I love her. She loved me. But sometimes we just don't get along. <laughs> <laughs> so the question is, how are we going to fix this? So this is what Elizabeth and I do. True story. You can ask her. I will call a peace conference, or she might call it. And we'll go to a place. It doesn't have to be anything fancy. Sometimes we go to McDonald's. Mm -hmm. We were so poor, that's all we could afford. <laughs> We'll go to McDonald's and, and we'll just find a spot somewhere in the corner. Just sit down, get, get, get some meal. She likes uh, the fish fillet thing. I like the chicken nugget. Yes, Lord. <laughs> and then we'll sit down and talk. And usually I will start, I will, I will share with her. A lot of things I love about her. How much I appreciate her. How she helped me. Uh, watching over the house. Taking care of the children. How she helped me to do this and helped me to do that. I say, I appreciate you for that. So I will start out with the good things. I'm teaching you how you need to resolve your conflict in your relationship. You don't just need to be, to be fighting and fighting each other. Have a peace conference. Start that conference like I do. Talk about what's good about the other person. If you start pointing out the negative, the meeting is over. Do you hear me? That conference, somebody is going to make a motion <laughs> for this <laughs> it's, it's amazing sometimes when I begin to tell my wife Elizabeth what I really appreciate about her I mean she begin to cry and I will cry and we'll both cry because she knows the truth but sometimes she don't know that I really know a lot of good things that she's doing so you start out with pointing out the positive. I appreciate this about you. I appreciate that about you. I appreciate what you do. I appreciate this. 
And then you can then come and say, but this is one thing I don't like. Do you know if you start out saying positive things about a person, if you have few negatives to say, they will listen to you? I'm talking to you about the psychology of conflict resolution. Many of you, you get in conflict with your loved one, you just stop talking. Some of you will even move out. Where the hell are you going? <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, you, you say you love this man. Brother, you say you love this woman. Where, where are you going? Give me a break. Come together. Let's talk. And don't start with all your negative stuff. What you don't like, I don't like the iron, you get on my nerves, and then you, you mess up the meeting. Meeting that could have been pro productive, somebody is going to cancel the meeting or walk out of the meeting. That don't bring glory to God. But when you begin to point out what is good about each other, long before you point out anything negative, People will listen to you. That's what Elizabeth and I do. It has worked for us for 34 years, maybe 35, I don't know. You see what I'm saying? So what's going on in the book of Malachi is God and his lover, Israel, getting together and trying to discuss their differences. Now I'm going to point out all what they discuss. And that's the book of Malachi in a nutshell. The first thing, when they got together, Israel said, you say you love us. They're talking to God now. But you really don't care. When I was reading the book of Malachi, I said, huh. I wonder if Malachi had been listening to my conference with Elizabeth. <laughs> I've seen many times that Elizabeth would look at me and say that to me. And oh, it hurts me to the core. Let me see. You said you love me, but you never ran. You stay gone. You're too ambitious. You're all over, you're in the north, you're in the south, you're in the east, you're in the west. You just, you rather make money or make things happen. You know why it hurt me? Because in my own thinking, I'm doing all of that for her benefit. To take care of her, to take care of the children, so they will lack nothing. So I have to work. A man have to work. You are made, brother, to work. <laughs> but sometimes, if you don't balance your life, the very thing you do best can be perceived as hate. Israel accused God. You telling the whole world, Mr. God, that you love Israel, but you really don't love us. Where is that love? Here we are suffering. We are poor. We are raggedy. They even reminded God. They said, look, 
our forefather birthed two kids, Jacob and Esau. Their forefather, they're talking about Isaac. Abraham beget Isaac, and Isaac beget Jacob and Esau. Jacob formed Israel. Esau formed the kingdom Edom. So, but God said he loved Jacob. God said he hate Esau, he hate Edom. So the people of Israel said, you say you love us. But look at the person you said you hate. They're doing very well over there in Edom. Look at their children. Look at their economy. Everything is going well for them. But us, the sons and daughters of Jacob, the sons of daughter of Isaac, the sons of Abraham, that you profess you love. Look at us. We're living raggedy. We're poor. We're wretched. We're suffering. We are taken into captivity as slaves. Is that love, Mr. God? <laughs> Is that what you call love? They're accusing God. If that is love, then I hate to find out what hate will be like. <laughs> now, that is why you need this kind of dialogue. You and your lover, you need to get together and see where each person is coming from. It hurts the heart of God. And God has to remind them what he considered love. God said, well, remember, when you were held in slavery in Egypt, who brought you out? I, the Lord God, did it. That's what I call love. Then he reminded Remember, when you were sick in the middle of the desert, you were beaten by snakes. Who showed up to heal every one of you? I, the Lord God, did that. That's what I call love. Then he reminded them, when you were in the wilderness and you have no food to eat, who dropped hamburger from heaven? called manna. You didn't work for it. He reminded them, I, the Lord God, did it. That's love. He said, when you are traveling, you have no, no light, no cell phone. Who was a pillar of fire by night so you can see your way? Who was a pillar of cloud by day so the sunlight won't burn you behind up? So God is saying, that's what I call love. You see how they have a dialogue. That's exactly what I do with my own wife. I listen to her to see where she's coming from as a woman. Then I explain to her what I consider love. I say, look, it may look like I work too many hours. It may look like I'm ambitious. It may look like I'm all over the map. But I'm doing it for you and your children. Learn to just sit back, enjoy, 
relax, look pretty. You don't have to do a thing. This is on me. <laughs> so God is explaining all of that to Israel. Guess what? God said, but I got something against you also, Israel. He said, you know what? You have devoured the temple. Israel said, you got to be kidding. What do you mean we've defiled the temple? We built the temple. It was torn down by the Romans. We're not the Romans. We're the good guys. We're your children. We rebuilt the temple. And we show up every week at the temple, at the church. We even bring sacrifice. You see how they're making their own case? God said, well, let me share my own side of the story. Yes, you show up. But look at the sacrifice you bring. You bring goats and sheep with one eye. You bring animals that are very sick. The kind of animal that you yourself you don't want, you bring it to God. You won't even give that to your governors and your president. Why would you give that to God? You say, you know why you do that? Because you value your governors and your president, your politician, more than God who created you, more than God who healed you when you're sick. Oh, now you see how this peace conference, dispute resolution is going. Each party is listening to their side. Now the Israelites can see, oh, okay, I see where you're coming from. It's true, we do bring leftover. It's true, we do bring animals that are blemish. It's true that we do bring one eye. <laughs> so what am I trying to say? Even in your own earthly relationship with your husband, with your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your wife, Learn to have this kind of meeting. That's how you resolve problems. God said, I have something else against you. God said, you know, you dishonor me. You steal from me. Israel said, what on earth are you talking about? We don't even know where you live. We don't know your house. We know your God. We know you're somewhere. How are we going to steal from you when we don't even see you? God said, you're stealing from me in your tithes and in your offering. God said, will a man rob God? You see, imagine. You are little midgets. You are just creatures like my pets. And you're trying to steal from me, your God. And now you're asking me, how have we steal from you? He said, you rob me, you steal from me, and your tithes and offering. Under the, the Torah, the people were brought up, they were raised, they were taught that one-tenth of their earning 
one-tenth of their produce if they are farmers. One-tenth of all their income belongs to God. They've been brought up to return that amount back to God through the temple so that we can fix the temple, so that we can take care of the poor, so that we can do the work of ministry and pay the staffs. But guess what's going on right now? During that time in Israel, the temple is in disrepair. Why? Because people are not paying their tithes and their offering. God said, that's why I cannot bless you. I want to bless you. But how can I bless you when you're stealing from me? That's some deep stuff. Well, that was back then in Israel. Do you realize that it's still true today? You go to some churches, oh, it's so ragged. It is so ragged. You go to the bathroom, the commode won't even flush. You try to flush, <laughs> you go on the piano, the piano is off too. You walk into the building, the, the light bulbs, Half of the building, the light bulb is out. That's what God is talking about. See, they're they're having a dialogue. We're supposed to be best lovers. But this is what I don't like about you. This is what you're doing to get on my nerves. And Israel, they say, this is also what we don't like about you, about God. One of the things that Israel point out to God is that they feel it's pointless to be a Christian. It's pointless to be a child of God. They say, what good being a child of God? God said, what do you mean it's pointless to be a child of God? They say, Mr. God, we'll tell you what we mean. We're trying to be a child of God here. Guess what we get in return? Poverty. We get beat up. We get taken into exile. We become slave. That's what we get in return. Well, look at Julio on the other side. Look at all those Amorites, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Philistines. They don't serve God. They don't even believe in God. But guess what? It looks like it's working for them. <laughs> they got nice homes. They got nice cars. They're doing very well. So that's why Israel says it's pointless being a child of God. And God had to educate them, see. Don't be fooled by what you see around you. He said, because there's a day coming. The day of judgment. All those things that you think they get in the way or that they they do wrong and I do nothing about it, every one of them will pay for their evil deeds. Don't think I'm asleep. Don't think I'm not paying attention. Keep on being a child of God. Because on the day of judgment, God said, I've I've set apart a day when everybody will give an account of their deed. 
Another thing that God pointed out during that conference is that God accused them of being covenant breakers. Again, the Israelites say, man, we must be missing something. We're the one going to church. We're the one bringing the sacrifice. We're the one reading your Torah, your Bible. How then we become the bad guy? God said, here's how you break the covenant. I told you, don't marry non-Christians. Guess what you've been doing? Anywhere you can find a woman. It don't matter to you if they're Muslim, if they're Hindu, if they're pagan. All they need to do is be good looking. <laughs> so God said, guess what? You're breaking the covenant. That's not what we agree. I told you from get-go. What business does the light have with darkness? Didn't I tell you that? What business do a Christian have with non-Christian? Yet you're marrying from everywhere. And now those women are bringing their religion that is different from your God. And they are influencing you your home, they're influencing your society. Now we've got all kinds of religion in Israel, whereas you're supposed to be the Christian nation. You broke the covenant. He said another way you're breaking the covenant is that now you marry these women and then you turn around and divorce them. He said, I told you, your God don't believe in divorce. Whatever God put together, let no one put a shunder. Not only are you divorcing your wives, some of you are divorcing your wife for no good reason. You just wake up, you don't like this one anymore, like you're going to go trade in a car, and you just get another one. God said, that's why you're not prospering. And God said, that's a reflection of what you did even with you and me. We're supposed to be best of friends. We're supposed to be lovers. I'm supposed to be your God. You're supposed to be my children. But guess what? You're constantly breaking the covenant with me. I'm not surprised that you break covenant with your own spouse. If you will not keep covenant with God, most likely you won't keep covenant with anybody. God said, I don't like that. You see, they were exchanging these various differences, hoping to resolve their differences. And God said, you need to return back to me. Now I want to share with you why he became silent after that meeting with Israel. Because he said, return back to me. Return back to the covenant that you have with God. Learn to do things God's way. Being a child of God is appropriate. 
I point out to you what I don't like about you. You point out to me what you don't like about me. I try to explain my side of the story. You try to explain your side of the story. Can we all get back on track as lovers? Will you allow me to be your God? Will you allow me to be your father, your heavenly father? Will you allow me to direct the affairs of your life so I can bless you and increase you and prosper you? Israel was listening. God even pointed out that even your priests, your preachers, they're no good. They're just as messed up as the rest of you. They see you walking with one-eyed sheep. They see you walking with blemished animals. Instead of correcting you, they're only telling you what you want to hear. God said, not only am I upset with you all, I'm upset with your preachers, your priests. They're phony. Sounds like many preachers today. God said, that's why your city is not growing. That's why you're not doing well in your family. That's why your children cannot excel. And God said, I do want to be your God. I got all the blessing, and I want to bless you. I don't want to bless your enemy. I want to bless you. You, you are my child. You are the one I love. After that meeting, God went silent for 400 years, hoping that people will learn their lesson, come back to their senses, and do what is right. Regrettably. You know how you have a peace conference? And somebody thinks he's right and the other one is wrong. And the other one also thinks he's right and the other person is wrong. I've, I've been pastoring for more than two decades. I've seen it firsthand. Husband and wife will come for counseling. And the problem is that nobody wants to compromise their position. The wife thinks he's doing too much in this marriage. The husband thinks he's doing too much in this marriage. Well, somebody is lying. <laughs> somebody didn't get the memo. Everybody thinks they're right in their own eyes. The Bible said the reason why God was silent for 400 years is because Israel think they're right in their own eyes. They think God is wrong. They think they're the one who is right. And that's the problem with many marriage today. That's the problem with many relationships today. Let me give you this thought before I let you go. If you really want your marriage to work, if you want your relationship to work, it doesn't mean that both of you will be perfect or both of you will be, man, I wish you could sit down with my wife 
and say, tell us about Pastor Josh. You'll be shocked what you'll find out. Yeah, she'll tell you, I'm nice, I'm a priest, a provider, a protector, and all that good stuff. Yeah, that's true. But he, she was, if she's going to be honest with you, she will tell you, yes, that Negro has his own weaknesses. Part of the, the relationship between you and your loved one should be your willingness to accept the good and don't reject him or her for the bad. See how you can improve it. One of the things I love about the book of Malachi is that even though God is saddened by the way these people are behaving, the book concluded by saying, God saying, you know, despite all what is going on, the day will come when I will restore Israel back to its rightful position. You know what that means? God as a lover never gave up on his love. Even though they get on his nerves, even though they don't understand his love, even though they accuse God, the creator of heaven and earth, of many things, God refused to give up on them. So I ask you this question. Why will you give up on your loved one? Why will you give up on your child? Pastor, if you only know what that child did, he's called me, really? Is that what your love is? It has limits? Why will you give up on your husband? Why will you give up on your wife? This is the same person. You stand before the priest or before the preacher. You say, for better or for worse, for poorer, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in death, till death do us part. I didn't see that. You said it. Or does that mean when you were saying those things, you really didn't mean it? You were just running your mouth? Think about it. I have a saying in my church, I would tell my, my members, I know many of you watching, you're not members of Zion Hill necessarily. Our ministry reaches across state, across the nation, even internationally. And I, I'm grateful for that. But every now and then I would look at the congregation we I serve as pastor. I say, follow me as I follow Christ. One thing unique about Jesus Christ, he never give up on any of us. I don't care what we've done. I don't care how many mistakes, how many trouble we got ourselves into. He's a God of another chance. Somebody says he's a God of second chance. I believe it's much more than that. He's a God of another chance. He's given me many chances. He's given you many chances. And I hope one thing we can pick up from the book of Malachi is the fact that God said, in spite of all what is going on, the day will come 
when I will restore Israel back to its rightful position. I pray the God of restoration will restore you also. Whatever is missing in your relationship, I pray that God will restore it. I'm sure some of you will say, Pastor, I wish you had preached this to me 10 years ago. It's too late now. I done kicked that. <laughs> I done run him out or, or kick out or whatever it is. But you know what? God can repair every broken bridges. I've been at close call in my own relationship too. Ain't no shame in my game. But if you let go and let God, God can fix things for you. You got to be open to receiving. You got to be willing to forgive. You got to allow the Holy Spirit to do something new in your life. That's my prayer for you today. Thank you for listening. I love you. I hope to see every one of you in your family life, in your relationship, in your partnership, in your love for one another. I hope to see a bright new day. I'll see you at the top. God bless you.